this session, we discuss Dr. Knudsen Martin's contributions to developing socio-emotional relationship therapy and how to work with the confluence of power, emotions, and social discourse in therapy. Welcome to the AFTA podcast. I am Naveed Zamani and I am your host. In this session, I'll be speaking with Dr. Carmen Knudsen-Martin. Dr. Carmen Knudsen-Martin is Professor Emerita of Marital, Couple and Family Therapy Program at Lewis and Clark College in Portland, Oregon. She has published over 100 articles and book chapters on the influence of larger sociocultural contexts in couple and family relationships and the political and ethical implications of therapist actions on marital equality, relational development, and couple therapy. She is a developer of socio-emotional relationship therapy, which addresses the micro-processes by which societal power processes play out in couple relationships. She was a 2017 recipient of the Distinguished Contribution to Family Therapy Theory and Practice Award from the American Academy of Family Therapy. Thank you so much for joining us, Carmen. It's really nice to have you. I want to acknowledge that at the time of this recording, correct me if I'm wrong, you had just completed a leadership tenure at AFTA, and uh, we're on the other side of a wonderfully successful conference in Baltimore. And I just want to say too, as we get into this, that Carmen's work has been really influential in my own work, uh, given my own history in uh, domestic violence and some of the couples therapy work I've done. So when I was trying to figure out how to do this couples therapy stuff, your voice was very present in my work. So it's a real honor to have you here with us. Um, so that said, welcome again. and. As always, curious, what's been grabbing your attention in your work these days? Well, Naveed, I'm uh, I'm really honored to be here with you, and um, I have just uh, finished writing um, a book that the title is uh, a step-by-step guide to socio-emotional relationship therapy a socially responsible approach to clinical practice. And so, as you just said, I've been working on these issues for all my career. And I've always been fascinated by how what's out there in the larger society actually shows up in the moment by moment of people's lives and in our clinical practice. So as over the last year when I've been Writing in this book, um, it's very different than writing a chapter on CERT, is what we call socio-emotional relationship therapy. I've written a lot of chapters. I've written journal articles where we've been researching different parts. And I've always tried to show the, well, what does this mean for how to do therapy? Mm. But in the, But I've never had the space to really think through in detail and and demonstrate with examples the actual how to all the way through um, and um, and in and in doing that, um, you know, I was having to tap into my own experience and the experience with 
those uh, colleagues that I've been working with as we've developed this model over the years. And um, it, it, it really helped me get much more clear about uh, how to do how to do that work. And um, so that's, that's been capturing my attention um, for most good lot of my time over the past year. Wonderful. And, and, and just as an aside, now I'm starting a workbook for couples um, themselves. And uh, that's taking the how to to even another level that I've not thought about before. That's wonderful to hear, Carmen. Correct me if I'm wrong, you have a long legacy in kind of the work uh, of how to support couples and integrate the broader sociopolitical, like you were mentioning. If I could ask just a couple definitional questions, what is socio-emotional therapy? I wonder if you could share. I know that's a really big question, but just <laughs> in an effort to come come closer to your work. Well, um, socio-emotional relationship therapy, CERT, um, is an approach. I'll just give a little bit in explaining it. I'll give a little bit of background. Um, that developed, I, I used to teach in Loma Linda University in Southern California and uh, with a colleague, Douglas Hunegaard. And uh, he and I were very interested in how to address, uh, we were especially interested in power issues in couple therapy. He had a background, uh, had been with feminist family therapy from Marianne Walters, who was one of the first women's uh, projects, one of the people in women's project and family therapy. And, and I'd been reading and studying all these other people who had been writing about feminist family therapy. But I also did my doctorate in a, uh, it, it's a co-AFTI accredited doctoral program in family therapy, but it was in a sociology department. So he and I started teaching at, Loma Linda at the same time. And um, we had this shared interest in how um, these societal pow based power issues were showing up. And we started doing therapy together. Uh, as, as an aside, it turns out we discovered that we had had the same supervisor uh, in different times in different cities. Oh, wow. um, and that supervisor emphasized. Um, both structural patterns and experiential processes. So Doug and I worked very similarly and we loved working together and we started inviting students to watch what we were doing. And what we realized, what we were trying to do was develop a model so we could explain to others how to do that. Mm -hmm. Over the years, we've moved beyond couple therapy to um, therapy more broadly um, and uh, although many of our examples are with couple therapy, with but um, to include individual and family therapy more broadly, and um, and also broadened beyond gender. So, so um, you know what people would be calling intersectionality, um, but really, uh, especially since I've been working in more recent years with Teresa McDowell and Marita. Maria Bermudez on um, a different project, socio 
socioculturally attuned family therapy. So, so all these things have come together now to, uh, to, so to define what CERT is. Um, it is a model where therapists begin by recognizing how the work that we are doing in therapy is positioned in relation to larger societal processes, mm -hmm. both for ourselves as therapists and for our clients and how they are positioning themselves in relation to each other. And so that's, I've, it has a lot in common, well, it draws on many other models, um, but it has a lot in common with um, some of the attachment therapies because we really begin um, with this idea that people need each other mm. and um, developed a framework that we call the circle of care around that. And that what we see is that these power processes get in the way of people having um, reciprocally responsive relationships where uh, who's, the flow of whose interests are focused on and attended to um, goes more or less back and forth. So then the, um, the model, the clinical model um, helps clients stay, uh, recognize how um, the uh, power and then emotion, emotion as a connection between the individual and the larger society, how power, emotion, and um, interaction come together. And uh, that's what we're really working working with. Thank you for explaining that because it's really it's helpful to hear the context of how you kind of came to these ideas. It's useful for me to think about a context where you're in an MFT program in a sociology department, and how it's not perhaps a complete coincidence that you're thinking about uh, the work in this way. I'm particularly drawn to this idea of power emotion as a connection between an individual and a larger society. Um, but if I could circle back to something you had said earlier, you said as you're writing this book now and kind of getting into some of the work you've done and the details of it, in some ways sounds like like really centering practice in some particular ways. Mm -hmm. um, you said it's tapping into my own experience and making it more clear on how to do that work. And I wonder if you could say more about that, like what's become more clear as you've been in this process, developing this work over many years now? Yes, and we, it, the CERT developed with uh, research where we were um, looking at the moment by we were looking at our own work. Doing, um, we had a, a team and we were observing live therapy, so we would observe it right in the moment and and uh, much like live supervision, only we were doing it with the research lens and iteratively um, develop foc focusing on how to, how is power showing up? How is culture showing up? Um, and we pub there've been over the years, a number of different papers that have published that have identified factors that are really important in terms of being able to distinguish, well, what do therapists actually do when they are able to transform power, uh, or at least the effects of power in the in the um, relationships that we're working with in 
in therapy. So we focused a lot on those kind of big, bigger picture and you and the idea uh, that um, I think one of the things that's really central that's been central for many years has been that to, that to interrupt power, we are as therapists very attentive, not only to how we frame and word things, but who we direct questions to, who we ask to attune to the other, who do we make more vulnerable? So, so I've written about a lot of those things, but now what I, what I really did was break down, um, you know, from the role of the therapist to, to assessment, to treatment planning. And then, and then in, in a part of the book, I take the same case through multiple chapters and walk through each of them. There's nine, um, three phases, and each phase has three competencies in it. And I think we hadn't developed um, very much beyond that broad focus on um, uh, inter interrupting power by who you direct the questions to and what you ask, but what do you do then? And so, and so um, I just uh, found myself being able to really integrate how you, how important it is for the therapist to always frame things back in terms of making the connection between the, their relational ideals, whether it's an individual we're talking about or, or, working with a couple and a family between their relational ideals and what we're observing with power in the moment. And then as we're trying to do uh, uh, enactments of something different, how we, how, how do you actually practice that? <laughs> um, so it is just a lot more detail about the how um, things that I might've been remembering Telling, um, talking about when I was supervising and and in our research groups, um, and also just having to really get clarity. I I think one of the values of writing, uh, especially for clinicians, is you get clarity about what it is you're actually doing. Mm -hmm. <laughs> it strikes me, Carmen, that you're in some particularly complex work. Um, I guess I'll just say from my own end, uh, especialized, I've been doing some, uh, well, my history, like you know, is in domestic violence work. And very recently through my dissertation research, I've really come into some curiosities around how to work with couples. And of course, this question of power mm -hmm. and then how like therapists begin to make assessments and wonder about power. Um, I'm really curious about right now. So as you can imagine, I'm really interested in what you're saying about how to interrupt power as a part of mm -hmm. the process mm -hmm. and then how it is that therapists are then taking some next steps once they've interrupted power. Am I understanding that correctly? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I don't want to act like, well, I want to be careful because I don't, I didn't hear you say this, but I also want to just acknowledge like that maybe interrupt interrupting power isn't necessarily the, the panacea of, uh, some sort of action that a therapist takes, but in some ways, I wonder, like, well, 
Could you say more about interrupting power? Like what is its yeah. usefulness? Why, when, where, and when? It's a complex subject, isn't it? Yeah. And, and um, that's the word we ended up calling it is interrupting power. Um, because otherwise the power that is kind of um, embedded in the habitual ways that people have learned to relate to each other based on societal norms and practices. And, and a lot of, I mean, there's other factors that enter into that. Um, so I would be, so, so I would be from the beginning of therapy, note, let's just say I'm noticing who's interested in the other person. In terms of like, um, lean if, I, if I have a couple together. Yeah. So, so, um, uh, one partner maybe might say, um, I might say, why are you here? And uh, uh, let me start with a, a same-sex couple. So the, the gender part's not, uh, not there. But one partner says, um, I, um, I don't know if I can trust my partner anymore. She went behind my back. She did this. And uh, the other partner then jumps in and she says, I know I was wrong. I will do anything to make this relationship work. Mm -hmm. And so then when I'm trying to track the flow of power, I am now very curious because this person who spoke first, the woman who spoke first, is, is uh, she's been hurt. Yeah. So maybe this is just a one-time thing, right? Um, so I'm... I validate the hurt and um, join, you know, join with that person. But then I want to see if I can get her to be interested in what it's like for her partner. To be her, uh, to be, to have, to be the perpetrator to, of her. Yeah. To have. Yes. And so I might say something like, so um, I'm just going to, I'm just going to call them uh, Jane and Julie. <laughs> okay. Yeah. So Julie is the one who went behind the back. And so I'm talking to Jane and I say, so, so Jane, um, wow, you know, you've been really hurt by Julie. I'm wondering, um, or let me say it this way. You've been really hurt by, by Julie. And I hear her saying she's, um, she's, she would do anything to, to get the two of you back, to get your trust back. Um, I'm wondering if you have a sense of what this has been like for Julie to see you so hurt. Mm. Now, That's a nice question. some partner, if they're relatively equal, um, Jane might be able to say, well, I know, I know, I know she probably didn't really need to hit. She would give some indication that she has some I, some ability to take her partner's perspective. I see. But when the flow of power is more skewed and perpetuating over time, I start to find that no matter what I ask Jane, she is so focused on herself and her needs that she can't even temporarily 
kind of focus on the other partner very yeah. much. And then I might, so then I might point that out. This would still be interrupting power. Then I might say, um, now I'm, I'm just getting to know them. So I'm going to be very um, attuned to each and kind in how I do it. But I might point out, so, I, so at this moment, Jane, it seems like it's really hard. Um, you've been hurt so much. It's really hard to um, take in Julie's perspective. And Julie, um, it, you know, seems like she just keeps saying, I'll do anything. Is this, is this a common pattern? Does this happen a lot in your relationship? And then the particular case I'm thinking about, um, Jane would actually respond like making it a problem that her partner is focused on her. She might say like, oh, um, yeah, she's, uh, she's a caregiver. She's always, she focuses too much on, 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 on others. And, and then maybe both, maybe Julie would speak up and say, yeah, I'm working on that. Maybe, maybe she, and that's another kind of power. That's the power from the larger society telling both of them that the one who is the more oriented to the other is less valuable, less important, that one should be able to stand up for what's right. So I'm, I'm interrupting as a therapist, I'm attentive both to the flow of power between, in this case, the two women who are in a relationship with each other and the flow of power from the larger society. And as I get to know them, find that each of them has experienced a lot of marginalization in a lot of ways, but they've responded to them in very different ways so that one partner's protective responses still have the effect of, of, of making the relationship less um, safe and beneficial for the partner. Now, if we were talking about um, domestic violence, um, this would be real obvious. And we may or may not decide to, that it was safe to work with the couple together. But there's so many other ways in um, heterosexual relationships, opposite sex relationships, that, um, that these differences in who's focused on the other seem pretty natural. They're a little easier to see mm. when we're dealing with partners who uh, have, have the same or similar gender identifications and sexualities and such. Let me know if I'm capturing this in some way that's accurate, that as you're kind of sitting with a couple and sussing out their, their way of talking about and uh, naming a problem, and you're kind of leaning in towards the person that was hurt and in that kind of producing some questions that allow you to kind of assess the other person's ability to connect kind of relationally with the other person's experience and concern rather than maybe a more individualized look inwards. Um, you're also, so you're, you're noticing this dynamic, you're assessing like how leaned in or not towards each other are they. 
Mm-hmm. And then how is a flow of power influencing some relational habits? And I'm appreciating your languaging there because it um, feels intentional in resisting some of the more modernist ways of describing patterns of interaction, more like how does power and habits of relating uh, connect? Yep. Mm-hmm. And then how then is, and then not taking for granted that these relational dynamics are not happening in a uh, laboratory, that there's broader societal discourse that's influencing how they're understanding exactly. and engaging with each other. And so like in the story of Jane and Julie, there's this, what feels common, this very uh, taking particular ideas and using them diagnostically towards each other. Like you're a caregiver and here's a prescription to not be a caregiver and you do your work on your own. Mm-hmm. I guess there's a way where I'm like, um, yeah, really appreciating how it is too that you're making visible your interpretations and kind of asking, is this a pattern that is common in your relationship? Is that right? Right. So there's the other kind of power, the power from the ther- power I have as the therapist mm. to make judgments or interpretations. I can't help. I am going to have to make judgments and interpretations. Yes. No, whether even if I'm trying not to. So I'm, I am also trying to um, <laughs> simultaneously create a collaborative relationship with the clients where I'm, um, I'm, I'm engaging them in joining me. So we're forming an alliance. This is one of the new things I had never thought about until I was writing this new book about assessment and forming an alliance cup coming together. So as I'm getting to know these clients, I am right from the beginning attentive to the power dynamics and the larger societal discourses that shape those. But I'm trying to do it in a way that engages us, helps all of us form an alliance together or helps the couple, in this case, a couple form an alliance against the the societal values and power processes. So it's another way of thinking about externalizing um, so that as we talk together, I'm hearing what they're saying and I'm being responsive to what their issues are and what they're telling me. But together, we're also shaping away a lens of looking at their problem that opens up a way of seeing things that they may not have thought about before, which, you know, raises questions. As a therapist, I don't want to impose my values and perspectives on the clients, but I don't want to be passive either, because if I'm passive, then those dominant societal patterns, they have the power. And we think, you know, a lot of people think that that's being neutral in therapy. Yes. But I've come to see that in order to actually help clients get some perspective and have a chance to interrupt these patterns if they want to, um, I need to um, be transparent with them and work a lot with what seems to be happening in the moment and just kind of be in it together. The other piece that I haven't mentioned too much except is that I, you know, I said it had a lot to, similar with some of the attachment pieces. Uh, and also, 
with contextual therapy where you always begin with the expectation that everybody is a relational person mm. and has relational needs. And most of the time, if you ask and look for their relational values, their relational desires and goals, they'll have them. So I'm assuming that when I ask Jane, she's not acting relational right now, mm. but when I ask her about her hopes for the relationship or, well, she, she may not know about that, but, but, but her desires to her relation from, a, if I speak from a relational perspective and I ask relational questions, I will get relational answers. Now I've had a couple of exceptions to that and I don't work with um, usually the population that you're describing, the DV population. But I can think of one man who came in with, I had seen his wife a few times individually and I suggested that he come in. And, and um, he was he was just very clear. He says, I think, you know, what the two of you are have been doing here, that's well and good for her. I have no interest in this. Mm. <laughs> I mean, I, he says, he says it's her problem. And my, no matter how much I tried to break that, it couldn't, but it was very helpful for the, the female partner to see that. And, and in, in that case, she actually didn't leave him many times. That might be the outcome, but she, st she stopped being so anxious mm. about um, trying to make him happy. Uh, as she'd been socialized to do, when when we now together had a framework for um, just talking. I mean, most of us never talk about um, how we are being impacted by the larger society or how that's creating power dynamics or affecting our ability to be to have the kind of relationships that we want. Yeah, I mean, correct me if I'm wrong, even in this scenario, an example where you're in conversation with this person who has like no interest in any relational sense of his his partner and the work, uh, the world that he's in and the work that they're about to do. She's almost positioned to witness someone else in a conversation with them about her relationship and get a sense of, oh, this is where he stands. Yeah. And not feel so uh, affected. I'm kind of going back to the thing you said about... Um, let me see in my notes here. Power emotion. Is that is that a, am I connecting that idea properly yes. here? Yes. The so like, those are the that's emotion is the other is the other. I mean, it's in the title, so it's the emotional relationship yeah. therapy. Um, when when we just when our research group when we were first starting to um, figure out how do we address gender power and culture, meaning larger societal things. Um, we didn't necessarily start with the idea that we were going to be working with emotion. But when we became aware that emotion is where the personal connects with the larger societal and the relational, or it's one of the ways, so does language. But 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 that emotion, so anything that's got emotional meaning, when a client expresses emotion or their heart starts beating fast or they 
suddenly sit up straight. Anything that you notice that's a that's a, we might think of emotional and that's it's physiological. It's also meaning. It's got cognitive meaning. That the body it's a, the body is is now living out the response to the larger society. And it is starting in that way, this starts getting philosophical, but it's starting to like embed society within our, not just within our relationship, but within our physiology and within our neurological um, patterns and um, uh, we found that connecting around that emotional piece helped us name and attune to the uh, people's felt experience of living in the world from their particular social locations and such. And then um, another piece that I've come to understand better more recently, um, and as I was working on this book, is... um, some of the things that some of the you probably you've been writing about this Navid the uh uh what you call it the na- emotional turn in narrative therapy oh the effective turn post- yes postmodern therapy post uh and so some of the people like Jeffrey Zimmerman and a number of others um uh Jan Ewing you uh in San Diego yes. um have been uh also looking at in order if we're going to change people's stories about themselves their life narratives or whatever language we want to use for that um, or their behaviors if you're coming at it from a different perspective the the emotional connection is very important and that's what I've come to see and a lot of what been uh, was writing about so that so that okay we can name, Here's what's happening in this pattern back and forth between the two of you. And they've come to see each other this way. But it is in, this is where the therapy is a little more experiential. It's when you actually um, experience something differently and then like name it together. There is more of a chance for it to persist and eventually become part of your neurostructure and it's it's not that the changes the that the changes that happen in the brain are any more important than any other changes in fact the changes that are happening are relational and in these ways of relating to one another but they do become embodied and um so it's really the thinking of the therapist as having the um joy and honor to to work engage with people in ways that help them embody yeah. a new way of relating to each other that we can never undo all the larger societal discourses and social structures and inequalities that are affecting um, each other and our clients but people can have a lot more choice about the meaning they give them or evening on a personal level, my individual client somehow ended up feeling that 
his power over over her became a lot less when um, when that when we could work what I think of as more at the emotional level in that it's happening between I mean, you can't really relate one to another without bringing in some kind of both emotion and meaning at the same time. I'm just really drawn to this, Carmen. I, I've I've been appreciative of the conversation recently around emotion and the way that you're describing it in some way resonates so much with that and also feels really unique in some of the ways you're talking about it as a correct me if I'm wrong, a signal or as like you're in conversation with couples, it's a marker or some representation of relationship to broader social frameworks. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And something that I was kind of hearing, I don't know if it's correct interpretation, is that like you're not necessarily positioned in the therapy room with a couple to like, I don't know, uh, fight sexism or racism necessarily on this broad societal level, but at least can name it, understand its effects on the relational practices and then ideally if possible align or at least connect the couple in noticing and naming and experiencing some of the broader political structures of society is that right well i think i would uh, wording me, is always so interesting isn't it i i do i would say that i'm really aware of those broader societal patterns um inequities, injustices, um, and correcting them to the extent that I don't want to replicate them. And I want to help in my role as a therapist. Right. That that feels like an ethical responsibility to me. Mm -hmm. And then with my clients, I want to help them have more options. And I also think it's about what good therapy is, that good therapy that people inequitable relationships are harmful mm. um and they to to everybody involved not just not even to the person who's in what i'm calling a power position but it's really about the flow of power back and forth between right. one another and that power is keeping people from um being their whatever words you want to use, their full selves, you know, um, being able to connect with each other or even just to have more choices about how they want to relate and organize. And at least people who are willing to come to therapy, they don't want to be um, fighting and hitting each other or, or um, emotionally or, or distancing. I mean, they, they want to have some, their hope was to have some kind of relationship. So um, there is a level where I think no matter everything we do has some impact on the larger societal mm, patterns. Yes. Um, but at the same time, our clients are going to leave their work with us and they're going back into a world where maybe they are changing things just this little bit because of but. But mostly the world is still has these inequities, at least for now. Yeah. And um, so my, my focus, at least when I'm a therapist, is 
is is about having responsibility and how I am re- not adding to those inequities and helping people have more options and more choices and more ability to connect. And as a therapist, I wouldn't be doing this if it wasn't affecting their ability to feel good about themselves, to feel valued, to feel felt. Um, uh, there are a lot of societal things that affect, you know, who who and what gets validated. Right. Um, but I don't want therapy that I'm do, I'm facilitating to contribute to that. And I'm hoping it's emancipatory in the yeah. sense of more options. I appreciate that. And I, I guess I'm thinking too, just in my own context with uh, teaching and some of the ways that I've, I guess in my own way, witnessed students being exposed to some of the postmodern ideas and landing with the idea of like power equals bad. Rather, you're saying power equals relationship and how do we as therapists attune to that power, our own societal power, the couple power, um, and then that we're, we're not so uh, decentered that we're passive, but that in some ways we're in a collaborative stance inviting people to consider our reflections in the form of a question sometimes and way that, that those considerations and naming some of the flows of power and experience and emotions contribute to a relationship that they prefer. Yes, and, and um, having clarity about um, how I'm you, what values I'm w- willing to perpetuate myself. Yes. So that it isn't just, yeah, going back to what you first said, it was one of the very first, I mean, I started, right, I didn't, I didn't even have a class in gender when I was in, in um, my doctoral program. It was sort of before that. Uh, but when I started um, uh, do it, being a, a family therapy researcher, scholar, and educator, um, I, I one of the and I was reading some of the feminist things. One of the first concepts that I really did take in was that power is a part of all relationships. People influence each other, and so from the stance that I come from, it you you can't you can ignore it, but it doesn't make it any less true. Yeah. Um, and so that power can be collaborative and mutual. Um, or can be that w- one person is uh, over time. Yes. Uh, focus. In, I mean, that's where it becomes destructive. That over time, um, in traditional gender socialization, women are taught to focus on what their uh, partners and their families need, and nobody is focusing on what they need. Mm. And then. I'm afraid that a lot of what's happened with feminism is now women are doing that too. Mm. I'm not all women, but I mean that there's this push to that. that, So this was part of um, what makes it different. I think from the beginning was the integration of a feminist ideas with relational ideas Mm. because 
Yes. I mean, we're about equal rights, but we're also about equal caring. Yes. And honoring the caring that people do. And and so there have been some feminists who always emphasize that. That's a feminist idea. But a lot of people, um, some of the hardest couples I ever worked with were two very independent young heterosexual couples that came in and they neither one of them wanted to ask the other to do anything. They each wanted to be autonomous individuals and respect the autonomy of the other. Well, we should respect the autonomy of others, but if nobody is also taking response, willing to, um, to say who's, who's looking out for the relationship then and who, and that caring for one another is a good thing, not a bad thing. Um, then uh, I think some of what's felt like progress has left people without a model for how to do relationships. So that's another thing that I think of, of what CERT is about. Um, and we call it the circle of care. It's not skills that we teach people how to do, but they are orienting principles or or. How, to um, for, to how do, how do we have a model of what it means to be mutually supportive? And so that's where we talk about mutual vulnerability, mutual attunement, mutual uh, influence, and shared relational responsibility. What that looks like is going to be really different for every um, person, every couple, every relationship. Because these are, you know, there are some relationships parent-child relationships, they have to be hierarchical, Mm. but they can still also be, then the person in power, the parent, has to intentionally attune to the child. But they, and and so even, or if you're talking about an employer and an employee, um, it's not supposed to be equal, but there can be mutual respect or, or, a recognition that that employee has that taking influence from your employee might be better for the workplace altogether. Yeah. And that kind of idea. I love that. Oh, Carmen, it's so awesome. Like to hear about just how thick your history of work is in terms of like the experience and wisdom and research you bring into it. Uh, it's just such a thrill to hear. And I guess I just want to say this as we wrap up here, uh, it seems, at least from my read of your work and some of what you shared here, that there's a long history here in looking at egalitarian relationships and power um, and kind of supporting or just kind of taking a stand in some of the principles you described, described for families and relationships. What has kept you kind of attending to that this in your work and career? Oh, that's an interesting question. Um well, I mean, every time, you know, as a researcher, every time you ask one question, you raise more. Right. Um, but I think the as a clinician, it's seeing the impact, seeing the positive impact and seeing that it makes a difference. And um, 20 years ago, when I would talk about these things at conferences, I'd get a lot of pushback about the notion of power. And that doesn't happen anymore. I don't know if that's <laughs> because um, I've learned how to talk about it better 
or if it's because there is, at least within the field of, of uh, family therapy, more awareness yeah. that that power is an issue. I hope that's what it is. Um, and book. so I um, I keep going because there's so much to learn about it and because um, um, it's it really does seem to um, make make the work that I do and the people I supervise work with better and the clients' lives are better. Well, thank you for all your contributions to our shared communities and uh, community at large. I guess I just want to uh, wrap up here, Carmen, saying thank you again. You have several books. Well, you have an incredible base of literature but I wonder if you can orient folks if they want to learn a little bit more about Sir or some of the ideas that we're talking about here. If there's somewhere that they might look or a book that you might well, have. Well, um, like as I said, the, the new book will be out pro- this fall sometime. But um, there right. is a a good chapter in um, the uh, socioculturally attuned family therapy second edition, um, which Teresa McDowell is the first author of oh. the book, and I and Maria Bermudez are. And then um, uh, Lana Kim and I did a chapter in the sixth edition of uh, LeBeau and Snyder's uh, Clinical Handbook of of Couple Therapy. And uh, the most recent journal article is an application to families in Turkey of CERT in the uh, Journal of Systemic Therapies. It just uh went online last month cool. and that's the journal for the uh for ifta the international family therapy association oh, amazing i am currently connected to several turkish speaking therapists so i'll have to share that with them wow wonderful well thank you again carmen and uh thank looking you. forward to reading your books and kind of seeing where this work takes us so thanks again for joining us thank you